Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate Thurston, and across from me is Charles, second tallest libertarian that we know of, Thompson. How's it going today, Chuck? Oh, living the dream. Yeah? Yeah. Is this the dream? Every single day, it feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you, I was sitting there trading stocks today, and I was just like, you know what? I really like trading stocks. Mm. This is awesome. Yeah. It was probably after the uh, awake meds kicked in more than likely. I was like, I freaking love that. Love you, Coke Zero. This is awesome. Do you think you would enjoy it as much if you were like still on paper, if, like before electronic trading? <laughs> Just on the phone all day? No, I hate talking to people, so yeah. probably not. Yeah. No. Writing slips out? I, no, I would not okay. like it as much. I like looking at the charts. Oh. It uses the creative part of my, my brain. Anyway. This is the Good Morning Liberty podcast where we don't talk about stock trading. We talk about liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to. So smash that subscribe or follow button to get a brand new episode sent every single day of the week when we want to. Make sure you do that. We got some good stories in the stack today. By good, I mean they're good for the show. They're not exactly good, but we are starting off with kind of a win right here. So I am pretty pumped about that. I love winning. So I saw this news and I went around the who covered this news the best. It was Reason.com covered the news the best. So, so thank you, Reason, for covering the news the best. But, you know, we've been talking a lot about monopolies and the social medias and the tech giants and all that. Well, today... There's so many monopolies. Yeah. It's hard to keep them. track of all of them. So many monopolies. Yeah. The FTC fails... We have a poly-monopoly <clears throat> problem. <laughs> Polyopoly problem, yeah. yeah it's exactly. a big issue. So there, the uh, FTC has failed to prove that Facebook is a monopoly, according to a federal district court judge. No way. <clears throat> Pretty crazy. No way. Now, there is a caveat to this. If they change the laws, the antitrust laws, they, then they could go back to court and they could be found as a monopoly. But in, inside of the current laws, this judge, this federal judge, has ruled that they are not a monopoly. <laughs> or that the FTC has not shown that they're a monopoly anyway. They can change the definition of it. <clears throat> but of they can change the definition <laughs> of an, of and make monopoly. them a, a monopoly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So a judge says FTC failed to show that Facebook has a social media monopoly. A federal district court has dismissed the Federal Trade Commission's antitrust complaint against Facebook. The complaint and a similar action filed by the state attorneys general argued that Facebook has a monopoly in personal social networking services. <clears throat> and illegally maintain that monopoly in violation of federal antitrust laws. Specifically, the feds objected to Facebook's acquisition of smaller companies, including Instagram and WhatsApp, and to it blocking interoperability between Facebook and some other apps. Remember that one of the things that they are trying to do in these new antitrust laws is force these websites to this, this interoperability, meaning that you should be able to post from your Facebook and Facebook should allow you to post to other sites or Facebook Messenger should also be connected to all the other messenger services out there in the world, mm -hmm. or, they're, or they're a monopoly, Yeah, <laughs> apparently. You should be allowed to interface. You should be able to have access to Facebook's <clears throat> yeah. code so that you can interface with other devices and softwares and programs. Just like how it's a monopoly that, that uh, McDonald's doesn't offer Whoppers, and so mm. we should make them offer that. Opponents of these efforts often point out that the new antitrust crusader's definition of a monopoly is lacking. It is. C 
Considering that consumers and businesses have plenty of options when it comes to social media and other tech services in question. Now, on the Facebook front, a federal judge has agreed. Quote from the judge, the, F- the FTC has failed to plead enough facts to plausibly establish that Facebook has monopoly power in the market for personal social networking services, PSN. Wrote Judge James Bosberg of the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia on the June 28th opinion, granting Facebook's motion to dismiss the FTC and the state's complaints. He continued, although the court does not agree with all of Facebook's contentions here, it ultimately concurs that the agency's complaint is legally insufficient and must therefore be dismissed. The complaint contains nothing on that score save the naked allegation that the company has had and still has a dominant share of that market. So the only thing that they were really able to argue was that Facebook has a dominant share of the market. In excess of 60%. In excess of 60%. So they, they have a... They have a filibuster-proof majority of the market, <laughs> they do. you know? And, and so this has always been a common thing, by the way. If someone, has a, if someone has a dominant share of a market, then people will say that they're a monopoly. But in our opinion, and a lot of different judges' opinions as well, and the great Thomas Sowell as, as well, you're not a monopoly unless you can stop other competitors from coming into the market. Just mm. because people have chosen you as the dominant thing that they're going to use for this specific service does not mean that you have a monopoly. That means you have the best product out there. So the question is whether or not they're stopping people from creating their own networks. Okay, he continued, even if the FTC had sufficiently pleaded market power, it's challenged to Facebook's policy refusing interoperability permissions with competing apps was lacking, since there is nothing unlawful about having such a policy. So what he means is, this whole idea that you can't connect Facebook with every other competitor for Facebook out there, that there's nothing unlawful about that, unless the new antitrust laws go through, which they will, make it, they will eventually make this unlawful. Okay, so this is really how important this is. This, Ye- is, so ins- this is so insane. <laughs> it, really, it really is. Um, here's the sad part of the article. Yesterday, Politico reported that a new executive action on antitrust might be coming soon. It's unclear what direction that order would take specifically. Nonetheless, it would mark a big shift in the government's approach through concerns about monopolies that have swelled during the 21st century. No longer content to just enforce antitrust laws, the Biden administration would use federal power to actively spark competition in a vast array of businesses. Politico says he would use the executive power to spark competition. Yeah. That's what, that's what the government's best at doing. If you look at a list of things that the yeah. government's really good at doing, it's a sparking competition among people. I mean, he's got a pen and a phone. Yeah. He's, he's got a pen and a phone. For, <laughs> and the, I declare competition. He's, he's, uh, <laughs> he's going to use the competition line on his phone. But the White House has said, said on Monday that the president has made no decisions about signing the order yet, but someone is writing it for him, probably someone who doesn't think that the actual antitrust law will pass. So what they're going to do is they're just going to shove that over the Biden's desk and have him sign it as an executive action instead. This is also disgusting. It is. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Where is that in the Constitution, by the way? That's a good question that we could ask about many things every single day. It really is. (laughs) I'm sure it's in the mother freaking interstate commerce clause or something like that. Who knows? They're promoting general welfare. I don't know. Okay. So... A little bit of good news, because the judge actually realized that just because you have a dominant share of a market doesn't mean that you have a monopoly. So that is good. But all that needs to happen here for this to go through is for them to shovel through those six antitrust laws that they're currently working on right now, 
which I believe just passed some committees or made it through some committees the other day. So we will see. I got a crazy story lined up for Charlie. This is not in Amanda the- said that the, 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 the president's power to create competition through executive order mm-hmm. uh, is right next. It's in the Constitution right next to the part about not having cannons. Oh, yeah. Right next so. to that. And being able to wage war on any country that you want. Yeah, so they're as right, long as you want. Right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where those are. So, All right, where's this coming from? This is not America right here. This is Canada, okay? This is Canadian news. Yeah. There's some, oh, yeah, I didn't put who it actually came from. It was, a, it was a reputable news source. All right, Canadian <laughs> doctor says banning gatherings prevents spread of misinformation. <laughs> yeah, this could have been dumb bleep, but we got a lot of dumb bleeps already. Nova Scotia's chief medical officer of health said that banning gatherings prevents the spread of COVID-19 misinformation. Dr. Robert Stang made the comments at a press conference when asked about a Nova Scotia judge lifting an injunction that banned gatherings. Stang responded by saying that large gatherings still presents some risks, but added that the injunction's other purpose was to prevent people from gathering to spread misinformation. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I, I hear it's more contagious than the virus. It is. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's just infecting people, <laughs> and they're, they're going to the YouTubes with it, and... YouTube can't keep up. Why is the a chief medical officer talking about this as one of the reasons that they need the ban gatherings? <laughs> here's, your, here's the problem with allowing governments to do this thing. People just talking too much, man. You know? too, much, too much coffee cafe chat. <laughs> People are gathering together to have tea because it's Canada. And <laughs> is that what they have in Canada? I think, yeah, tea? I still think most of them drink tea. Oh. I think. Well, they're weird. Still, still have their <laughs> British... Roots, you know, mm. we've kind of gone away from that. Yeah, uh, most people in America drink coffee, although tea is good. There's I nothing, do like tea. Nothing actually. wrong with tea. Yeah. Um. So they're they're having their spotted tea and their <laughs> and their crumpets or whatever else. I think they're <laughs> largely influenced by the French too. So maybe yeah. beignets. So they're tea and beignets. They get together and they talk about <laughs> all their misinformation. So <sighs> that's and that's what we have to stop. Yeah, we have to put a ban on this. Are you going with the rest of it? Or you- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Nova Scotia government was originally granted an injunction to ban gatherings on May 14 to stop anti-lockdown protests from happening. This was after they had in- introduced one of the toughest lockdowns in Canada. Nova Scotia's lockdown has, however, since ended, and the province is now in the second phase of its reopening plan. Yesterday, the province of almost 1 million reported three new cases. However, that has not stopped public health officials from maintaining stringent restrictions. That's one thing that we haven't talked about much is the COVID, not just the death numbers, but the case counts are down. Now, they use this seven-day moving average, which anyone who trades any stocks would know. Seven days is way too close of a moving average. Like, oh, it's crossed the seven-day moving average. (sighs) Come on. What's the volume on that? Mm -hmm. Are we going over an important resistance point? Come on, ma'am. But so they use this to scare people, but the the death numbers and everything have been remarkably good as far as people dying. Now there's too many people dying, and I don't like it. But it, the numbers, which no one's out, they're just talking about the fear. You know, this Delta variants out there, it's going to kill everyone, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But they're still just talking about cases. They're not talking about how many people are dying. Like we don't talk about a, the number of flu cases every single year. You know, it's got a, a fairly low death rate, just like COVID. Well, they have here. This province has three that were reported yesterday. Three cases. That's alarming. 
That is, shut it down. Mm -hmm. Plus, how many cases of misinformation were there? Untold. Yeah, yeah. Th there it, would be no way of knowing. It's hard to get. It's hard to gather the data. But this from kind all of these gatherings. It's kind of the danger of giving them this power, right? Because the one, they're shutting down for your own health, you know, and the, and you could make arguments for that. But now they're saying, oh, we need to keep these because if we let people gather, they're going to spread COVID misinformation, which is one of the most dangerous parts of COVID. From what I can tell, is the misinformation mm. that goes along with it. So, I don't know, man. Y'all tell me. Just like the Scottish back in the day, you know, they would gather together and spread misinformation about the king. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? That's what long they, shanks. That's what know, they had was, to be stopped for. <laughs> yeah. And okay. <laughs> the English, the English really pissed off about it, you know? Um, but, but that that right there, though, is just, <laughs> it's, it's drumming up old, old, old ideas about how to control populations. Which is why the First Amendment, freedom of speech, also protects the right to peacefully assemble, mm -hmm. right? Because the government should not be allowed to tell you, which they did anyway, but, but it doesn't matter. They should not be allowed to tell you that you can't gather peacefully. And to me, that's the most insane thing. Other countries don't have those same protections, by the way. Yeah, they, it's not. Canada doesn't have a First Amendment. So that's unfortunate for those people. But isn't it interesting how the same old tactics used to shut people up, to not go against what the government says, it's being used today. Mm -hmm. It just never ends. It, it, Might as well have kings and lords and but, ladies. But you can blame these things on the individual actors, like the people, say uh, Stalin was a terrible person, or some people would say he isn't, um, <laughs> or, or Lenin or Hitler or Mao, like they were terrible. But really, this is just kind of a natural progression of government. They, when they get worried about some of their powers, they've got to start instituting things like, oh, we need to ban gatherings because you guys might get together and spread misinformation now. You know, and that's not, it's not like there's a, it's not like there's a Stalin or a Mao up there running things. They just think that they're doing the best thing for the most amount of people and that their job and is... And the people are too dumb to know what's good for them. Yeah. And it falls within their purview because the health officials are supposed to keep people safe. Mm -hmm. And if they gather and they spread misinformation then they might end up doing things that are unsafe. And yeah. so this is part of what the health officials can do, because if you let people talk to each other, they could end up having ideas that are unsafe for them. Like, for instance, if you, if you mention Alan Iverson Mechton, you yeah. know, if you mention his name, the, yeah, the yeah. great basketball that's player. A, that's a good way of saying Alan that. Alan Iverson Mechton, you know? <laughs> you guys know that guy? That's a good way to not get banned right yeah. there. Yeah. If you I mention like his name, great, you know, pretty good basketball player. He's mm -hmm. kind of short. And, um, anyway, anyway, he was pretty decent for a long time. Uh, if you mention his name anywhere, then that's misinformation. Mm -hmm. Never mind the data backing uh, no. up all of his good shots. The official you know? health officials have not Never decided. mind his efficiency at, uh, <laughs> at taking the doctor to school, you know? <laughs> Dr. J, that is. It, I'm not sure they did. They play at the same it time. It doesn't matter. Okay, they both does, play okay. basketball. All right. Well, well yeah, so. whatever. Okay. So, some <laughs> more gaslighting. We talked, we've been talking a lot about gaslighting over the last year or so because there was some crazy gaslighting going on. Amanda got it. I don't know if anybody else got it. I know she listened to that podcast episode. That, Joe got it. Um, and so we've been talking a lot about gaslighting. Yesterday, we talked about how AOC was doing some gaslighting by saying, oh, you're. Everyone talking about the crime spikes, so that's just hysteria. Everyone's just being crazy, you know? And now, 
The White House is even getting in with more of the gaslighting because people are asking them about the spikes in crime around. And you know whose fault it is that, that the crime is spiking? It's the, here's the official words. It's the Republicans who have been defunding the police and not supporting law enforcement. <laughs> so amazing. That is why the crime is spiking. Yeah. Okay. And so let's play this video we've got from the old White House press secretary. Let's see here. Something one of the advisors said this weekend, Cedric Richmond, he said, Republicans defunded the police by not supporting the American Rescue Plan. But how is it that that is an argument uh, to be made when the president never mentioned needing money for police to stop a crime wave when he was selling the American Rescue Plan? Well, the president did mention that the American Rescue Plan, the state and local funding, something that was supported by the president, a lot of Democrats who supported and voted for the bill, could help ensure uh, local cops were kept on the beat and communities across the country. As you know, didn't receive a single Republican vote. That funding has been used to keep cops on the beat. But at the time that was sold as uh, these local police departments might have a pandemic-related budget shortfall, not we need to keep cops on the beat because there's a crime wave. Uh, I think that any local uh, department would argue that keeping cops on the beat to keep communities safe when they had to, because of budget shortfalls, fire police is is something that helped them address yeah. crime in their local communities. In local communities, the White House's argument was the American Rescue Plan is going to be $1,400 checks. It's going to be vaccines, vaccinators. Uh, we're, it's going to put us on the path to beating the virus. Not it did those things as well. It was a pretty good bill and piece of legislation. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what's the the cops are having a firing problem. This is mm-hmm. not they're not quitting. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see police officers quitting. That's they're not on the beat, you know? It's that their budgets went down so much that they had to fire all the cops. That's what it was. And it and and all of this crime spike, all of this is because uh Republicans didn't support the American rescue plan. Now let's not talk about the fact that the American Rescue Plan was passed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel like that's pretty important. But it's Republicans' fault. They that are is the, true. They're the ones that wanted to defund police by not, by not passing the American Rescue Plan, which what this guy brought up, they never talked about needing to fund police with this. They wouldn't be able to do that because the people on the left, a lot of them, and a lot of them in the Democratic Party, have been wanting to defund the police. This has literally been what their argument mm-hmm. has been. And they've stepped back from that because they find out that actually people don't want the police to be defunded. Okay. Now, we could argue that you could defund police departments by deleting 95% of the law books that don't need to be there. And then you wouldn't have to have them out there enforcing laws where people are not hurting anyone but themselves. And then maybe you could even defund police because you wouldn't need as many, as, as many police. Or you could have a conversation about how we can make it a private service. Yeah. Where people pay a monthly, you know, bill, like you do your trash bill or something like that. And you could have, you know, private policing in your communities. Yeah. And keep people safe. That's their job. But this is another great example of some amazing, amazing, flawless gaslighting that's happening. Like, no, that wasn't me. No, we didn't do that. That was you. We never wanted to defund police. You did that. Yeah. Are you crazy? This crime spike that's happening, that's because you guys didn't support this bill that passed. <laughs> and so, did, what, they, so what, did they not get the money what, because Republicans voted against it? <laughs> or they didn't vote for it? Yeah, they still got the money. No, they must not have. I guess not. Because the crime wave is there. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> this is what they'll do for, they, because they... This is incredible. 
That you know, people have short attention spans. They don't pay attention. They don't listen to shows like this every single day. Let me tell you that. Not all of them, anyway, according to the numbers. But a lot of them do, and we love you, and you're great people. Uh, but people don't pay attention. Their attention spans are uh, like one trending cycle long on Twitter, and then that's about it. And so now the White Unless House. Unless you're watching a a show, an eighty hour show. Yeah. And so now you can be sitting there in your city and be like, why is everyone getting killed around me? What's going on? And then you see the White House saying, well, it's actually Republicans that wanted to defund police. Or That's they what the reporter should have came back with. <laughs> like, well, didn't the, didn't the plan pass? Yeah. Even without Republican support? <laughs> didn't, it, so didn't they get the money? Yeah. But never mind. Um, never mind that you have local lo- localities and states that have defunded police. Mi- Minneapolis being one of them. In Minnesota, uh, among others, I believe um, it was or- was it Oregon as well, Portland possibly. Uh, I'm not sure. And some other places that have actually defunded the police, and now all of a sudden, I know in I know in Minneapolis they were like, okay, we we tried that. We want to get the police back now. And why is the crime rate going no. up so much now? And again, libertarians out there, I think you, we could have a different conversation about how we should pay for policing. Mm-hmm. But security obviously is something you need. Yeah, it's something everyone needs because there there's bad actors out there. There's people that are wanting to kill and steal, and rob and hunt and destroy. You know, they use the those high capacity um, clips mm-hmm. and stuff. Walking around those two hundred those two hundred bullet clips that they mm-hmm. got out there. Yeah, yeah, they fi- they fire like a thousand rounds a second. Exactly, they're pretty crazy. And it's, you can get those now because of the new laws that have been passed. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm not real sure. Yep. So anyway, we got to switch over to some serious talk. That's hilarious, though, that they can just that they, they can do that with a straight face. I know. Straight face. It's insane. Wow. OK, this coming from Fee. Um, didn't you send me something the other day about how somebody was talking well, about how Stalin was? We're going to put that's a dumb, okay. probably leading dumb bleep right now, I would okay. say. So that's saved in there. All right. Yeah. All right. So this uh, from Fee, five things Marx wanted to abolish besides private property. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's, that's just self-evident. So it's important no one, to remember it wasn't just private property. Marx's manifesto is famous for summing up his theory of communism with a single sentence, abolition of private property. But this was hardly the only thing the philosopher believed must be abolished from bourgeoisie society <laughs> in the proletariat's march to utopia. In his manifesto, Marx highlighted five additional ideas and institutions for eradication. Numero uno, the familia, the family. (laughs) I just want to see if any of these are still being attempted right now. Like, are we working Mm. towards Marxism right now? Or is anyone? I don't know. La familia, the family. Marx admits that destroying the family is a thorny topic, even for revolutionaries. Quote, abolition of the family, even the most radical flare-up of this infamous proposal of the communists, he writes. But he said opponents of this idea fail to understand a key fact about the family. You just <laughs> fail to understand it. You just don't get it. Here's a key fact of the family. Quote, on what foundation is the present family, the bourgeoisie family, based? On capital, on private gain. <laughs> it is completely developed, in its completely developed form, this family exists only among the bourgeoisie, he writes. So you, you, can't have, you can't have family because they're based on capital and private gain. 
I guess. Mm-hmm. That's that's why we got to get... Your families gotta, are selfish. We've all got to be part of the same community, right? This is the problem. We're not all working together because when you start fractionating down, you're in, you end up caring more about your family than the other people in your community. So we got to get that out of here. Got to get it out. Um, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your name, but uh, Alejandra Fern <laughs> said Marx's dad didn't hug him. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Definitely didn't. Best of all, abolishing the family would be relatively easy once bourgeois property was abolished. The bourgeois family will vanish as a matter of course when its complement, um, yeah, when its complement vanishes, and both will vanish with the vanishing of capital. Finally, no more families. Yeah, no more families. Number two, individuality. Hmm. Hmm. Marx believed individuality was antithetical to the egalitarianism he envisioned. Therefore, the individual must be swept out of the way and made impossible. Individuality. I mean, they, a lot of people implementing Marxism did a good job making a lot of individuals impossible. They definitely, yeah. yeah. They, they, they suicided a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, indiv- individuality was a social construction of a capitalist society and was deeply intertwined with capital itself. <laughs> Quote, in bourgeois society, capital is independent and has individuality while the living person is dependent and has no individuality he wrote and the abolition of this state of things is called by the bourgeois abolition of individuality and freedom and rightly so the abolition of bourgeois individuality bourgeois independence and bourgeois freedom is undoubtedly aimed at so we got to get rid of the individuality we all got to be one happy family well not family Mm. One happy community. It's got to be group identity. Of all of us and groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Number three, eternal truths. Marx did not appear to believe that any truth existed beyond class struggle. It's the only truth. The one that he picked. (laughs) It's the only one. Quote, the ruling ideas of each age have have ever been the ideas of its ruling class, he argued. When the ancient world was in its last throes, the ancient religions were overcome by Christianity. When Christian ideas succumbed in the 18th century to rationalist ideas, feudal society fought its death battle with the then-revolutionary bourgeoisie. He recognized how radical this idea would send sound to his, to his readers, particularly since communism does not seek to modify truth but to overthrow it. But he argued these people were missing the larger picture. Yep. You just don't get you it. You just don't get it. You don't understand. You're not as smart as I am. <laughs> just follow my lead, okay? Don't question. Quote, undoubtedly, it will be said, religious, moral, philosophical, and juridical ideas have been modified in the course of historical development. But religion, morality, philosophy, political science, and law constantly survived this change. There are, besides eternal truths, such as freedom, justice, etc., that are common to all states of society. But communism abolishes eternal truths. It abolishes all religion and all morality. Instead of, well, you got to do that because that way you have, it's, it's not wrong to kill people. Yeah, it's, it's one of the main things you have to be able to do. Instead of <clears throat> constituating them on a new basis, it therefore acts in contradiction to all the past historical experience. What does his accusation reduce itself to? The history of all past society has consisted in the development of class ant- um, antagonisms, um, antagonisms that assumed different forms at different 
epochs. So I definitely talked to a lot of Marxists that seem to agree that there are no eternal truths other than the fact that uh, rich people need to be gotten rid of. Like, that's, that's one of the only things. So he, he did hold no eternal truths other than class struggle. That was it. It was that the bourgeois was holding down the, the what was it, the proletariat, mm-hmm. what it is, I guess. And, and that was it. And that we, we needed to, I mean, it's crazy, this whole idea of getting rid of the family and individuality. And you still see this coming through in society. And I don't know if they're following, I don't know if they're following Marxism, like they read Marx. And then they're like, let's do what Marx said. Or if that's just the natural progression of human beings, eventually, that have, uh, that are using a certain side of their brains or a certain part of their brains that they naturally move towards this. And, and Marx just happened to be one of those people that wrote it down on paper. And, and I don't know if they're following him or if this is just a natural thing that happens, but it's still happening mm-hmm. still right now. And eternal truths. I, I like what, um, what Peterson says. Um, and that's where I got this from. But uh, if there are no eternal truths, he said, then try to argue your way out of pain. <laughs> See if you can argue yourself out of pain. Everyone feels pain. The last one is really, is really the best one that you still see happening a lot right now. If you want to... You want me to skip number four? Yeah. Well, let me just... Number four is nations. He said, communists are reproached for seeking to abolish countries. These people fail to understand the nature of the proletariat, he wrote. They fail to understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quote, the working men have no country. We cannot take from them what they have not got. Since the proletariat must first of all acquire political supremacy, must rise to be the leading class of the nation, must constitute itself the nation, it is so far itself national, though not in the bourgeois sense of the word. So, look. The proletariat's going to be the nation. You Mm -hmm. don't need to have any other. And now we could make libertarian arguments about, you know, we make open borders and, and and all of that. I think a nation is important because you're going to have to agree on a specific set of laws that you're, you are going to protect for people, that rights that you are going to protect. And it's hard enough to go from a county to a state to a federal government if you had this one world government out there and they were trying to protect. Imagine all the disagreements you're going to have among all of those people. So you need it as local as possible. So I, I don't know if any libertarians would go with the idea of having no nations and that we're all just going to be one amazing working class with no rich people. And it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. It'll be awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Amanda makes a good point here that I wanted, that I wanted to elaborate on a little bit. She said, Marx actually seems to have mm-hmm. a pretty fair critique of early capitalism slash cronyism. He just ironically couldn't acknowledge its progression capacity for innovation. And I, and I will say that he had a pretty fair critique of the, quote unquote capitalism you said cronyism because we actually haven't tried true capitalism yet (laughs) it lasted until the government started controlling all the businesses exactly (laughs) exactly and so the problem that we have here is you have the bad actors right in government or even in business who um use certain things to their advantage and in the early stages of of capitalism when people could control everything um, that wasn't the true free market because they were holding other people back. Mm-hmm. So there's no, it's no longer a free market. It's no longer capitalism. All right, number five, the past. So Marx critiqued, critiqued cronyism. He, he critiqued <laughs> uh, people acting terribly. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Number five, the past. 
Marx saw tradition as a tool of the bourgeoisie. Adherence to the past served as a mere distraction in proletariat's quest for emancipation and supremacy. In bourgeoisie, in bourgeois society, Marx wrote, the past dominates the present. In communist society, the present, the present dominates the past. Burn the books. Burn the books, tear down the statues, mm -hmm. do all of that. Let's not talk about the fact that uh, actually the, the uh, Democrats were wanting to defund police and now they're saying that it's actually Republicans that are defunding police. Let's not talk about the past. We got to control it right now. And I've seen these quotes before. Um, actually, Orwell talked a lot about this, obviously. Talked a lot about that. And what he says there, the past dominates the present. The present, I said president. Uh, the past dominates the present. In communist society, the present dominates the past. Now, there's one part of that that he would say tradition was a tool of the bourgeois, and I could see that where you could say, um, well, let's just say it was a tradition that people had slaves, you know, that, that, that was something, okay? And so you'd say, well, if you delete the past, and that's never a thing anymore, we start right now, well, then is it okay for us to have slaves? And that could have been a way to do that, is by deleting all the tradition, all, all of it's gone. But of course, that's not really what Marx was talking about, because a lot of people like Marx ended up having a lot of slaves in their uh, prison camps mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that they had going all the time. So that wasn't quite it. So I get a little bit of that, where you would need to get rid of the old traditions so you could move forward as a society. But you should never stop learning what people did wrong, like what people did when they were implementing their Marxist tactics over all these uh, previous countries that tried this. And of course, those people will want you to not ever think about that. Because they want to they wanna control the past. And, and Mr. Orwell knew about that, for sure. I'm sure you guys read the book. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah, and this is interesting. Um, Maurice just sparked something else that we could talk about quickly. But we might be able to do a whole podcast on it, actually. But he said, yeah, that's the same argument that the left uses. They will say that's not real. And so maybe there is, is there a question of, are we currently in the natural progression of capitalism? That, and... I think we capitalism with a government. I think we, I think we are. I think that's why people go to anarchism uh, because you wouldn't have that that could eventually destroy that capitalist society. Although I think those people would eventually just form a government and then they would try to do what they could to control it over time. I think, I think that would still happen. But what Maurice said there, so I don't say that argument anymore, by the way, that we don't have, we've never tried real capitalism. I actually had a quote from Ron Paul that I was going to post on Twitter yesterday. And he said something to the effect of you can't, uh, I don't, I, I'll paraphrase, but basically you can't, you can't condemn capitalism because we haven't had capitalism. And I was going to post it. And I, and I didn't post it yesterday, literally for that reason. I was like, this is the same argument that socialists make all the time. But is it true? Could still be true. And it could still be true for the socialists also that we didn't have what they envisioned as the perfect socialist or communist world. And since it wasn't the perfect socialist or communist world, then we never actually had socialism or communism. And so this is why this goes all the way back to something that we used to say, uh, is that uh, what system, when it's corrupted by evil people, would still give the, the most amount of opportunities and the best life to the most amount of people? And so that's the question that you need to answer. Would it be socialism and communism that's corrupted by evil people and then used against those people? Or would it be capitalism that's corrupted by people and then could be used to, to hurt some people? And to me, capitalism, 
uh, imperfect, even crony capitalism, which I don't want, is still better than communism and socialism. Well, and the one thing that capitalism has over um, uh, communism and socialism is in a communist or socialist society, it takes compulsion. Whereas in a capitalist society, you still have a freedom not to shop at Walmart, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, they can work with the government and pass all kinds of things in their favor and, and all that stuff. Well, you still don't have to go there. Yeah. You know, now if they, if they were able to, you know, monopolize themselves, uh, Joe, uh, I believe this is a quote too, but he says all, all roads lead to fascism. Mm. And I don't remember who said that. I don't know if someone, I don't know if that is a a quote quote or that it's, it's pretty true though. Mm. And because that is what we kind of moved towards and I devolve into that's what you devolve that's what capitalism devolves into when the government starts controlling all the businesses but allowing people to still own the private businesses that is what it eventually devolves into and um I still think that trying to fix that society is a lot better than having a communist society go wrong and trying to fix that one you know so I would I would still argue that this one's better well because you're white oh yeah that's that's the main reason Mm. so Speaking of evil capitalism, I've got this article I told you guys to start, to start off with. It's got some length to it, but it's got some of the most ridiculous statements uh, that, that, I've, that I've ever read about Amazon and the, and, and the idea that Amazon exists. And uh, it's crazy that people think like this. I want you to put yourself in the mind of this dystopian novel, this terrible world that we've made it to where everything is terrible, because this article is called Amazon Prime is Dystopian, and it's from The Atlantic. Now listen to, I mean, just the horror, the humanity that we're having to deal with, with Amazon. It's crazy. Today is Prime Day. The holiday was invented by a corporation in honor of itself to enrich itself. It has existed for six years and is observed by tens of millions of people worldwide. Prime Day is a singular and strange artifact, but then again, so is Prime, Amazon's $120 a year membership service, which buys subscribers free one-day shipping plus access to streaming media, discounts at the Amazon subsidiary Whole Foods, and a host of other perks. Prime is Amazon's greatest... Remember, you got to be in a dystopian novel right now. Prime is Amazon's greatest and most terrifying invention, a product whose value proposition is to help you buy more products. With 200 million subscribers worldwide, it's the second most popular subscription service on Earth, poised to overtake Netflix and the not-so-distant future. That's, That's crazy. Amazing. That's crazy. I didn't realize Netflix had that many subscribers, actually. Yeah. Good job. This, okay, so the first thing, their, their most terrifying invention is the fact that they are a product whose value is that they help you buy more products. <laughs> now, why is that terrifying? They're... If someone creates an infrastructure and a website and they bring together all these sellers and they put together this infrastructure where you have between one and, and 14 day shipping, <laughs> who knows, but they put together this whole infrastructure and you have this, this website where you can find things from all these different sellers, like four or 500,000 different sellers that are using Amazon. I think it's like 1.2 million, <clears throat> isn't it? Why is that not worth money to you? That those things are cheaper, that you can get them in a, in a pretty quick delivery, that it's easy, one simple-to-use website. Why does that not have any value? 
It does have value, as you can tell. It's been, no, it's because they're so big. Yeah. The yeah. popularity is both extremely logical and a little perplexing. When you subscribe to Prime, you're paying to pledge your fealty to a single company's ecosystem. <laughs> this is so dystopian. Something that consumers once wanted to avoid. You're paying to have your every purchase cataloged. Also something consumers aren't wild about, at least in theory, so that Amazon can use that information to sell to you and people like you more goods. Hang on a second. <clears throat> yeah, this is terrible. Every single, almost every single retailer has a way to track you, yeah. by the way. They... You know those rewards programs that they do? Mm -hmm. you, think, you think that they... They want to just give you rewards? That's no, what that's they about? They want your email address. That's what they want. <laughs> well, they want your emails so they can market yeah. to you, but they also <laughs> look at your purchasing habits mm -hmm. so they know what coupons to send you Yeah, in your email or your mail. And they also sell that information to other people. Yes. <laughs> read, um, read a great book called The Power of Habit. The Target had this figured out in the, in the 70s, right? They know you're pregnant <clears throat> before you do. <laughs> it's true. It's true. There's a story in that book about how this father was upset because his wife, his, uh, sorry, his, not his wife, his daughter, his 16 year old daughter, 16 or 17. I don't remember. She started receiving, uh, target coupons for baby products. And it turns out he was mad. Cause he's like, what kind of message are you sending my daughter? And, and it turns out she was pregnant. Target <laughs> knew it before she did. That's awesome. did because they know the habits that of women and typically what products they buy when they first become pregnant, uh, whether they know it or not. That's crazy. And so they send out those coupons to say, Hey, you're going to get some bottles. They got some bottles on discount here. Hilarious. You're okay. Continuing on here. You're paying to become part of a system that is purpose built to keep you paying forever and to keep Amazon growing forever, forever. Okay. Low prices draw customers in. Oh, so terrible. This is, I mean, this is one of the scariest things I've ever read. I'm mm. actually getting chills right now just thinking about the fact that this is a real thing. Low prices draw customers in, which provides Amazon with more data, more bargaining power, more market share, and more advantageous economies of scale, which then allows it to gobble up more businesses, grow its footprint, build more warehouses, increase selection. And lower prices even more, which then draws even more customers in. Do you see why we had to read this article? It's so ridiculous. It's a cycle of death is this what is, I'm reading. This is terrible. Did you find this in the <clears throat> horror section? Yeah, man. I just got them watching The Conjuring, and then this thing, this came up right here. <laughs> oh, man. This is awful. Low prices drawing customers in and the business getting bigger. All, oh, my God. <laughs> this has to be stopped. When Prime was introduced in 2005, Amazon was relatively small and still known mostly for books. As the company's former director of ordering told Recoach Jason Del Rey in 2019, Prime was brilliant. It made Amazon the default. It created incentives for users to be loyal to Amazon so they could recoup the cost of membership, then $79 for unlimited two-day shipping. It also enabled Amazon to better track the products they buy. And when video streaming was added as a perk in 2011, the shows they watch in order to make more things that the data indicated people would want to buy and watch, they use this data to make more things that people had told them they wanted to watch. This, we're going to have to put but these people in prison. To make more things that you would like. We're going to have to put these people in prison. 
That's the only answer. We're going to have to find them. Okay. <laughs> and to surface the things they were most likely to buy and watch at the very top of the page. <laughs> at the very top of the page, they put things that you were more likely to buy. It's indoctrination. This is crazy. And restrictive. Prime habituated customers to a degree of convenience, speed, and selection while, that, while unheard of just years before, was made standard virtually overnight. Like the McDonald's drive-thru, you know? You're making <laughs> food so cheap and so fast. You know, we got to stop them putting in drive-thrus. Now Chick-fil-A this, has people outside. This, this type of loyalty is remarkable. It used to be, this is a quote, it used to be that being a consumer was all about choice, says Emily West, an associate professor at the University of Massachusetts. And she's an author of a book that I don't really want to talk about. But probably now, listed for sale at Amazon. Probably <laughs> for sale on Amazon. Yeah. But now, two-thirds of people start their product searches on Amazon. Prime discourages comparison shopping. Looking around is pointless when everything you need is right here. Even as Amazon's sheer breadth of products makes shoppers feel as if they have agency. <laughs> this is, this is, uh, yeah, this is pretty crazy. So another thing to remember, this idea that you don't have choice if you're using Amazon. You guys know there's hundreds of thousands of sellers selling things on Amazon. When you look for something, if I go to buy a laptop, I'm not just going to go buy an Amazon laptop. That's not the only thing I, that's available for me to buy. I could buy an Asus, I could buy an Acer, I could buy an HP. Wait, hang on. <laughs> I looked it up just to make sure. Not only is this, uh, it's not even out yet. It's coming out February 8th, 2022. It'll be paperback on Amazon, and you can also get it for your Kindle. What about Audible? Are they going to have Audible? I don't know. It doesn't say that yet. But <laughs> mm, thanks, Emily West. Uh, just wonder if she has other books. Listed. So She has all kinds of books listed here on Amazon. Keep in mind Weird. that Amazon gives you this massive selection at low prices to make shoppers feel like they have agency. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, consumerism has become a key way that people have misidentified freedom. So you're mis you think you have freedom when you're on there, but actually you don't. Okay, says a sociology professor at California State. But what Amazon presents is a corporate infrastructure that is increasingly directed at getting as many consumers as possible locked into a consumerist process and Amazon consumer for life. I got that tattooed on my arm the other day. <laughs> Amazon, it was, I got a tattoo artist free on Amazon yeah. two days ago. They brought, the, brought it to me. Amazon offers steep discounts to college students and new parents. Two groups that are highly likely to change their buying behavior. It keeps adding more discounts and goodies to the Prime Bundle, <laughs> making subscribing ever more appealing. And in an especially sinister move, it makes quitting Prime maddeningly difficult. <laughs> I think, uh, I think, I think, was it Joe that said it? I think he's right. This is a deep fake. This is actually someone at Amazon writing this article. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure. This, uh, oh, that, that sounds pretty good. Now, you don't want none of this Amazon, Charlie. You don't want none of this. They're going to give you low prices. Okay, well, I actually like low that prices sounds, on sounds stuff. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. No, no, no. You don't, you don't want... But, but it's going to take like a couple weeks to get here? No. They can do it in as little as a day, maybe two. Well, I like it when stuff shows up. It's gotten pretty a little quickly, worse now. But. Pretty quickly, actually. 
But you can probably only find like one version of anything. They have hundreds of thousands of selections. Millions. Millions of selections. I don't know, man. Amazon's starting to sound pretty good. <laughs> uh, okay. At this point, Prime, we're almost, we're almost there, y'all. At this point, Prime is infrastructure. It's how America shops. That was true for more than 100 million of us before the coronavirus pandemic drove the world inside. But roughly 30 million additional poor souls, people in the U.S., signed up for the service last year. From their STEMI checks. From their STEMI checks. And because uh, people like this was telling everyone that it was unsafe to go outside, so luckily Amazon existed. I still have yet to hear anyone on the left thanking Jeff Bezos for creating something that could probably save the lives of tons of people last year who had a way that they could shop for everything. Imagine if we didn't have a way to do any of this and we all had to go out to the store. They wouldn't have been able to lock everything down. Actually, maybe we should get rid of Amazon. Now that I think about it. <laughs> was, yeah, I don't know. Okay. In 2020, Amazon's revenue from subscriptions alone, mostly Prime, was $25 billion, which is a 31% increase from the previous year, and it's three times the revenue of the entire NBA. That's amazing, by the way. <laughs> they have a guaranteed $25 billion in income every year without selling a single product. <laughs> Just based on their subscription service. That is, that is pretty crazy. It's so genius. Um, let's see. Amazon is a beast that we've never seen before, which is uh, Alima, Alima Hamid Wilson told me. Amazon powers our Zoom calls. It contracts with ICE. <laughs> it's in our neighborhoods. This is a very different thing than just being a large retailer like Walmart or the Fo Ford Motor Company. Sometimes, now we're going to get a little bit crazier. It's going to get darker <laughs> before no the dawn. Way. No. Sometimes it's useful to compare big tech to climate change. Another force that is altering the destiny of everyone on Earth forever. Both present themselves to us all to us all the time in small ways. A creepy ad here, an uncommonly warm November there, but are so big, so abstract, so everywhere that they're impossible for any one person to really understand. Could you imagine the same person writing this article about electricity? <laughs> And how badly they had all these candles they wanted to burn. I'd like them to write this kind of article about the government. Yeah. Honestly. Right. How about that? Yeah. How about that? Both are the result. Remember, Amazon, like climate change, both are the results of decades-long human addiction to consumption and convenience that has been made grotesque and extreme by the incentives and mechanisms of the internet, market consolidation, and economic stratification. Okay. This guy must have researched all of his stuff in college at, from encyclopedias. I guess so. Couldn't use the internet. Speed and convenience aren't actually free. Neither is freedom. They never are. Free shipping isn't free either. It's uh, not. By the way, it isn't. You pay for it. Yeah. You know, you are paying for it. It just obscures the real price. But they're not talking about the price that you pay monthly. No, they're talking about the societal price of free shipping. Okay. And climate change. Getting hand sanitizer and toilet paper and jigsaw puzzles and sex toys delivered to your door, contact-free, as a contagious disease ravaged the globe, didn't mean that no one was venturing into the life-threatening outside. It just meant you weren't. <laughs> Next day shipping comes with tremendous costs for labor and logistics and transportation and storage. Oh my God. It's not just you that's suffering because Amazon's low prices. It's the people who work for Amazon. People who get who paid. are able to make a living. <laughs> the people who pack your stuff into the smiling boxes and the people who deliver them, the planes and trucks and vans that carry them, the warehouse that stores them, the software ensuring that everything really does go the, get to your door on time, 
for air conditioning and gas and cardboard and steel. Amazon Prime, in particular, has done a superlative job of making all those costs, all those moving parts, all those externalities invisible to the consumer. How terrible. This is awful, okay? So we don't have to go, we're not going to go any further into this article, but... There's a lot more. What? What happens to someone, what do you think happens to someone's brain that makes them literally write this horror story about all these things that are good for people, by the way? All the things I listed are good for people. By the way, I bought a lot of stuff over the weekend. I went shopping this weekend. I didn't buy anything on Amazon. I subscribed to Amazon, but I actually didn't buy anything on Amazon over the weekend. I got some stuff at Target. Got some stuff at Old Navy. Okay. I got stuff all over the place. So it's not as if they're just locking you in. And are you reading on right now? Yes. I only have to read this part. Okay. If Amazon is like climate change, subscribing to Prime is like flying. A personal choice that pales in comparison. So see, they got to make themselves feel good. because This person probably has a Prime membership. Okay. It's a personal choice that pales in comparison with the government intervention, with what government intervention could do. Just as abstaining from flying for moral reasons won't stop sea level rise. Of course, because you can't act on what you actually believe, can you? No. Well, that would be acting on an individual basis, which Mark says not to do. Right. One person canceling Prime won't do much of anything to a multinational corporation's bottom line. It's statistically insignificant to Amazon. They'll never feel it, Kane told me. But he said the small businesses in your neighborhood will absolutely feel the addition of a new customer. Individual choices do make a big difference to them. And in the case of Prime, what you and the world are paying for isn't a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Bali or a weekend with Grandma. It's the right to get command hooks delivered directly to your house <laughs> in 12 hours. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. This I is can't wait the, for the movie to come out. One of the worst things I've ever... <laughs> now, what, here's a good thing. You're free to cancel Amazon. If you want to, you could cancel Amazon and just yeah. shop at other places. It's like when Jordan Peterson told that, uh, I've mentioned him a couple of times, when he told uh, that GQ interview lady to quit, mm-hmm. she's like, well, I don't want to quit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a hell of a fine proposition yeah. in your privileged position. Like if it, and see, this is the problem, that people actually don't believe what they actually say. Because if you're not willing to act it out, then you, actually, then you don't actually believe it. Mm-hmm. You and I were having a conversation the other night about whether or not I would do something. And a lot of people were telling me like, oh, well, it's not that bad. Come on. And I'm like, yeah, but if I do it, then I'm not true to myself. I'm a liar. Yeah. I don't actually believe in what I'm saying. If I'm just like, oh, well, you know, it's uh, just this once. Just this one time. I don't want, I don't want other, the other people to do it, but I have to do it this time right, to keep right, going. Right, right, right. <laughs> I wish they would shut all the planes down, but I'm just going to take this one because they're offering it. Because I need to go somewhere right right now, and I can't help it. And that's the mentality that all these people have. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. It's it's insanity. They don't actually believe what... They just want to control you. That's all they want to do. They want want no one else to fly so that when they fly, it doesn't make a significant difference. (laughs) By the way, the last thing on the page on this story is a link to buy one of the books using a link on this page through Amazon because they receive a commission from it. Are you serious? Yeah. I put it in here. I would don't normally put an ad in here, but the Atlantic wants you to know that when you buy a book using the link on this page, they receive a commission. Thank you for supporting the Atlantic. <laughs> so go buy one of these books on Amazon because we've got a seller account set up and we're going to receive a commission 
whenever this happens. About how much we hate Amazon. <laughs> and, it's amazing. And, and, and exactly what Amanda said here. It's like when AOC said she takes Uber instead of the bus because you have to work within the system you have. Yeah. She has just, to do it. Just like when you sell t-shirts on the free market or, or hoodies in the free market. I'm just working in the system we got. Even yeah. I don't believe in it. I'm just working in it. Now, I will say, the only one thing I will say is that... You said a lot of things. Well, I'm saying on, on the good side mm. of this, which is that I do think that Americans have this proclivity to want everything right now as fast as possible. And I think there, there are times where you should, uh, in your own personal life, and make a personal choice for this, slow down a little bit. and Delay smell, the gratification. And smell the roses. You yeah. know? There, there are times where you should i think personally it's good for you to you know take in some nature or slow down a little bit um that that would be the only thing that i would say about this but it should be an option for people well because it, most of the time it's really really good for all this stuff to be done now if you if you want to take your wife or your or your husband out on a date night or boyfriend or girlfriend whatever and do some old school shopping you know, that's fun Mm-hmm. Go do that. Spend some quality time together rather than ordering everything off Amazon. But you still have that choice. Not for long, I guess, according to these people. Well, and what's important is also the mention here is the argument is that, well, you can get everything so fast on Amazon. It's destroying everything. And that's not entirely true. There's actually a lot of different values that are occurring here because there's the time that you're going to spend going to do this. And there's the physical effort of going to a store and getting something. So it's not just the fact that people want to get things faster because I could actually get most of the things I order on Amazon. I could get faster by driving over the Mount Juliet and going to Best Buy or going to Target or Walmart or something like that. I could get it way faster if, it's if, in stock. if, if I go to those places, if, if it's in stock. But one of those stores is going to have it and I'm actually going to have that item faster than if I ordered on Amazon. So it's not really just the speed. It's the speed mixed with the fact that I get to keep laying on the couch watching Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so you mix those things together because now I'm valuing my time. I'm valuing my actual physical effort of going and getting something. I'm valuing what else I could be doing with the time that I'll be spending driving. And all those things have values. And so it's not just that you want to get things really fast. It's that you also want to make the best use of your time. And they made it fast enough that you can handle waiting one or two days for it because you could get it faster if you just drove to Walmart real quick and got it more mm-hmm. than likely. But then you got to factor in... Well, they made it cost effective. Yeah. And then you got to factor in how terrible it is to go to Walmart and get stuff. And also you know? some things on Amazon mm-hmm. are more expensive, mm-hmm. by the way. It's, there's this whole thing where people go around to TJ Maxx and Michaels and even Walmart and Target and all this stuff. They find things that are selling for more on Amazon. And that's their entire business, by the way. So Amazon's not always the cheapest. Yeah. Just depends. So... Well, I just want to thank just, them for this beautiful article mm-hmm. telling me about how amazing capitalism is. Yeah. I loved everything I heard. <laughs> it was amazing. I, I'm I mean, impressed. I was kind of scared. Yeah. For a second. It was a little, I'm sorry to scare you guys. Mm-hmm. We'll have to put the explicit tab on this and make sure your kids don't listen. By the way, speaking of having your kids listen, we're an hour in right now. So why don't we finish her up? Charlie's not here right now. Just reading. He's reading still. So, oh, reading. the article kept going, but I was like, oh, I know, we're, at an, we're at an hour, so I got to stop. It always keeps, it's getting more and more ridiculous. Oh, it keeps going, yeah. Yeah. It keeps getting crazier, the, if you can imagine. The, like this, 150 million American, po- uh, they, Amazon's entered 150 million American pockets in the form of the app, both, of course, making shopping for paper towels effortless and even fun. <laughs> That's the, terrible. The terrible. Yeah. 
the the audacity of Amazon for you to make paper towel shopping fun. I just can't believe it. It's also it's also created the decline of the local small business, which is also something that Walmart was blamed for, that all the small businesses were gone because of Walmart. Mm. But now Amazon coming in with Prime in 2005, well, they also, uh, they, they, they also have continued to kill the small businesses, which is partially true, of course. And but, they've also helped propped up, prop up about 1.2 yeah. million small businesses that sell on Amazon. Yeah, that's the other thing that people don't pay attention to. Amazon is a website where sellers list things for sale and you go to Amazon and they facilitate this whole process of buying and selling and shipping and all these things. And hundreds of thousands of sellers list their products on Amazon. And those people aren't counted in the small business category. How many businesses only exist because Amazon existed and they're able to put their things on this marketplace? No one's doing that. They're looking at the physical brick and mortar businesses that went out of business in your town. and I'm sorry, but that is, uh, that's progress. You know, we could have saved a lot of jobs by not using electricity and having people going around light the lamps. We could have saved a lot of jobs by not having refrigerators and maybe having people deliver milk to your door all the time or, mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And so we could have saved tons of jobs by doing that. And um, the A&P grocery, grocery chain could have stayed in business if, if people wouldn't have started driving so much and have refrigerators at home and been able to buy things in bulk for their houses and all that, if we just would have stopped mm -hmm. all of those, all of that progress from coming, then we could still have AMP and we wouldn't have to worry about refrigerators all of Refrigerators took out a lot of jobs, by they the did. way. They did, yeah. Closed down a lot of the salt mines. We shouldn't have had refrigerators. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So that they're just talking about stopping progress and I, and I, we've talked about this a lot, but I don't think that it's good to support your local mom and pop shop, and a lot of people disagree with this, especially a lot of people on the right disagree with it, but people on all sides disagree with this, but to support your local mom and pop shop, if the entire town has to pay 20 or 30% more for things that they would be able to get that much cheaper on Amazon, why is it better for the entire town to use more of their money on things that they shouldn't have used that much money on to support these two people? that own a store. So that is hurting the entire town in the argument that you should keep these two people in business selling products for a more expensive price to people. And that is not how you have economic progress. You want the dollars to go to their highest and best use that they can possibly go to. And so if you can get things for cheaper, then you can, instead of paying, instead of paying $100, you can pay 90 and then you have $10 to use on something else. And then someone else who has a business where they sell things for $10 gets to stay in business as well. And so th these arguments that people make that, that killed all the small businesses, I'm sorry for those specific people that owned those businesses, that they lost their businesses, but they were not part of the technological progress that we've had in the same way that truck drivers are going to lose their jobs eventually when we have self-driving everything. And uh, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be pushed out of work in their current jobs. And then there's going to be new things that they could do that people actually still value instead of forcing them in, in, into doing something that people don't value as much. So anyway. And look, as, as, our, as our great philosopher Uncle Trickle says here, if I didn't already have a subscription, I'd get one after this article. <laughs> yeah, it sounds amazing. And you should too. You, if you don't have a subscription right now, you should go ahead and get one right after you hit that subscribe button or follow button on, on Spotify because I know you guys enjoy today's episode it most certainly slapped as far as i could tell 
Yeah. So hit that subscribe or follow button on Spotify. Share the show with a friend, an enemy, the children, your loved ones, and even those that are near and dear to your hearts. Okay. We would appreciate if you did that. Shout it from the rooftops in your helicopters. Leave us a rating review on Amazon. On Amazon. <laughs> Leave us one there, you know, on Apple uh, Podcast or anywhere, anywhere at all that you could leave a rating and review. We appreciate it. If you guys do all of those things, go to patreon.com slash good morning liberty. Stay classy. Then we'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you have a good day and a good morning liberty. <laughs>